My name is Pastor R. Good to see you all. Uh, Pastor John is teaching our high school class today, so uh, I have questions. So a Sunday school teacher was teaching her little six-year-old class and asked the children in the class, how do you get to heaven? Really important question. She said, if I cleaned the church every day of the week and mowed the grass through the season, would that get me to heaven? And some little kids said, no, no, that wouldn't work, teacher. Well, she said, if I sold my house and I gave all my belongings to the poor, would that get me to heaven? No, teacher, that's, that's, not, that's not the right answer. What if I gave candy to the children? Not even like Halloween candy, but like candy every week to the kids. And I was kind to animals. Would that get me into heaven? Said, no, teacher. So, well, how then do I get into heaven? The little boy said, you have to die first. I'd like he was on the right trail. Many, many of you have uh, said goodbye to parents in the recent past. One of the questions we ask is, what happens when we die? As a believer, as a believer, what happens to a believer? Well, our body goes in the ground, but our soul and our spirit goes in the very presence of God. Job said, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Our bodies are waiting for the great resurrection. The next event in the prophetic calendar is the rapture for his church, for Jesus' church. It could happen any moment. The word imminent means it could happen anytime. It could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it could happen this week, it could happen 10 years from now. Following the rapture of the church will be the emergence of a mysterious figure known as the beast or the antichrist. He inaugurates what's known as the great tribulation. Daniel spoke of that lasting some seven years. In fact, Daniel spoke about from the time the edict is passed from Artaxerxes to send the Jews back to Israel until the time of Messiah will be 69 weeks. We're speaking now of the 70th week. The 70th week will terminate with the battle of Armageddon. And then, of course, Christ himself will return and establish his kingdom upon this earth. Answers the prayer, the Lord's prayer of thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, <clears throat> what is the rapture? The rapture is when Christ descends from heaven and we're caught up in the air to meet him. It's the moment when we get these new bodies and we're um, reunited with our loved ones. Some may say, well, Pastor R, I don't see rapture in the Bible. Well, I don't see Bible in the Bible. You know, the Bible, which means book, isn't spoken in the Bible. The Bible is Bible. And the word Trinity is not spoken. I believe in the Bible, and I believe in the Trinity. At Jesus' baptism, of course, the Father said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was being baptized, and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But the word rapture appears in the Latin Vulgate, raptura. It means to be taken by force, to be removed to be snatched away. I call it the great escape. So why, why is there a rapture? Well, the believers were concerned their loved ones who had died, they wouldn't see again. Would they ever see them? The words that Paul gives were meant to encourage, to give hope. Yes, you will see them again. Yes, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Mike Montgomery and Rob Talton both lost their fathers in the recent past. And there is a time to mourn, but we do not mourn as those without hope because we mourn with hope. 
You know, these people were part of our past, but they're also going to be part of our future. There's coming a day when the believers will be caught up, reunited with loved ones, sorrow will vanish, and joy will overtake us all. I'm looking forward to it. So let's get back into Nehemiah now. Let's get reoriented, reoriented to our uh, map of Israel, if we can get there. So looking at the map, Israel is this small nation of about 7.5 million Jews. It's about the size of New Jersey, or if you like, El Salvador. Uh, you could put 15 Israels in the, in the state of New Mexico. That's how small it is. And there are now 57 Muslim nations, but only one Jewish nation. Some of the nations around Israel are friendly. Some are hostile. To the north of Israel, you'll see there, is the land of Samaria, the ancient land of Samaria. And there's a person in the narrative named Samballat who has an army of, of Samaritans. In our day, to the north of Israel is a nation called Lebanon, where Hezbollah is. To the south of Israel, you see the Arabs, or Geshem. In our day, we would call that um, Egypt, the Sinai Peninsula. To the east of Jerusalem is, in our day, Jordan, but in their day, it was called the Ammonites from Ammon, Jordan. And to the west of Israel is the land called Ashdod, or the Philistines, and in our day, that would be called Hamas. Now, we just sang that God is a promise keeper. His word will never fail. God has made promises to the land of Israel, to the people of Israel, and God will not renege on his promises. God will not break faith with Israel. And those that bless Israel will be blessed. All right. But in the meantime, there's work to be done, isn't there? All right, so the, the work that God called Nehemiah to do was to finish a project. And we pick it up in the narrative in chapter 4, verses 10 and following. I'm going to read to you now. It says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, the enemies are all saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. I find in these verses four barriers to finishing the project. Four barriers. Let's pick up the first indication. There's discouragement because the people of Judah began to complain. Now, there are, I have a grandson named Judah. It means praise to God. There are 12 tribes in Israel, and Judah was not just one of the 12 tribes. Judah was the leading tribe, the first tribe, the messianic tribe. David, the greatest king of Israel, was of the tribe of Judah. Jesus could trace his lineage back to Judah. Judah was to be a leader of the tribes. But even Judah began to succumb to complaining. Complaints can be legitimate or not. Debbie procured for us some great treats to give out on Halloween. I was working the door. So I gave out treats to the kids coming by. I give them double treats if they would read my Bible track. And these are some really good chocolates. I mean, I sampled some from the collection. But the older ones, 15 and older, were saying, 
We don't really like Snickers. Who doesn't like a Snickers bar? I'm thinking to myself, I'm giving you a Snickers bar, and you're complaining that what I'm giving you isn't good enough? I guess I'm complaining about the complainers. But the point is that they were complaints were coming from the tribe of Judah. They were supposed to be a people of faith and courage. The blood of David was flowing through their veins, but they were complaining. What were they complaining about? Number one, exhaustion, loss of strength. Just can't wait to be finished. You ever said that? Just can't wait to be done with this. Just can't wait to wake up every morning and not think about this project. Just can't wait, they would say, till I don't have to dig through these stones to find the good ones to build with. Just can't wait till I don't have to mix this mortar every day. Just can't wait till my life is normal again. Our modern Nehemiah, Paul Wareham, said, They knocked it out in 52 days, but they didn't have building inspectors, contractors, or code to deal with. They were getting worn out at their task. Their strength was failing. They were only half done with the project, and the newness had worn off. When Nehemiah said to the people, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and in this disgrace, the people said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Nehemiah organized them into families, remember? The fish gate was built by Hassaniah. Next to him were the people of Tekoa, the old city gate by Joada. And the loser of the draw was Melchizedek, who built the dung gate. It's now been confirmed that cow dung is effective in stopping the spread of COVID. It's been said, dip your hands in cow dung before you go out, and then nobody will shake hands with you. <laughs> nobody will come near you on the street, and you will wash your hands thoroughly before you eat. <laughs> Little joke. So what was happening now, the people were getting worn out. If you break a bone and get a cast, at first you have people sign your cast. But about halfway through, it gets kind of old, doesn't it? If you buy a new car, at first you don't mind the payments, but then about halfway through, those payments get old. If you start a house improvement project, you begin with gusto, painting those walls, you know, <laughs> doing the basement, but about halfway through, it loses its luster. Now, Nehemiah's people have been going hard, and they're getting tired. I look around, I see soldiers are tired. Doctors and nurses are tired. Teachers get tired. The first thing they were dealing with was exhaustion. The second complaint was there's too much rubble. They lost the vision. The vision was to build a wall around Jerusalem. The workers would tackle a portion of the wall section by section. They worked together. They'd take the stone and the mortar and build something strong and secure. Without walls, their city would be vulnerable, insecure. So every day they had to be staying at it. They had to stay at the wall. Just a side word. God's given you an assignment. And if you stay at the wall, you'll finish that project of yours. 
And that's what they had to do. They had to persevere. The vision of the wall was owned by the workers, but now they've lost the vision. They couldn't see the completed project. All they could see was the rubble. Remember London after World War II. Imagine the bombs dropped every day on the city, and you could see the rubble. You look at Gaza City now, and the amazing amount of rubble that is there as Israel tries to dismantle the terrorist network. All the people could see was debris, broken stones, and dried up mortar. It'd be easy, it would be easy for a mother who just changed her 10th diaper of her baby to lose her vision of motherhood by simply seeing all the rubble. It'd be easy for a student who is buried with assignments to lose her vision of a career by simply seeing all the rubble. Be easy for a builder who's seeing a flood or a fire to lose the vision of what the house could be become because they see the rubble. They lost the vision. And the third complaint was, we will never build this wall. I call this the loss of fortitude inadequacy. These people weren't masons by trade. They'd never built a wall before. They were inexperienced. They could feel insecure, inadequate. They began to lose their confidence. We aren't enough to get the job done, they could have said. Surely somebody could do the job better. Maybe we, we can't finish it. Maybe we won't finish it. This is a loss of fortitude. Exhaustion makes cowards of us all. Their confidence is beginning to wane. This is more than we expected. The task seems impossible. It can never be finished. There's so many factors working against us. And the fourth thing they're dealing with is fear. They're listening to the voice of the enemy. What was the enemy saying? Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near them said 10 times over, they will come from all directions and attack us. They were getting bombarded with threats. They are hearing the voice of the enemy. Nehemiah and the people arose to build. The enemy is trying to stop the builders from building, eroding their confidence. What do you do when somebody criticizes you? How do you stop being criticized. If you say nothing, you'll never be criticized. If you do nothing, you'll never be criticized. But if you say something, if you try to do something, you will be criticized. What is happening now is the enemy is bringing its attack through its voice. What are the most pressing threats to our nation. I was looking at the Homeland Security website. Terrorism remains the top threat to America. The threat of terrorism, violence from radicalized groups is very high. Foreign groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS are trying to rebuild their networks. The number two threat to America is illegal drugs coming in from places like China, fentanyl, 
It's projected that more Americans will buy and be killed from fentanyl than any other cause. The third threat to America is migrants coming from various nations, complicating border security. And the fourth biggest threat is China, illicitly acquiring our technologies and our intellectual property. What did Nehemiah do with his discouraged people? <laughs> well, it says in verse 13, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed people to stand guard by families armed with spears and swords and bows. Nehemiah put people, he posted up guards in the most conspicuous and vulnerable places of the wall. The enemy could see that the Jews were prepared to fight. They had weapons to fight with, they had families to fight for, and they had a city to defend. It's true, isn't it, that we protect our own households, right? We have a front door to keep people out, to let people in. We have a doorknob that locks. We have a deadbolt for even more protection. Some of us have security systems to protect our homes. Some of us have a dog that barks. Some of us have a gun that shoots. I'll tell you a, story. <laughs> a little story about my dog. I, we haven't had a dog for a little while. We used to have one named Schnick. And Schnick was a 20-pound Bichon. And a guy was coming to fix the refrigerator. And he called about 20 minutes before. He said, have you locked up your dog? I said, I don't lock up my dog. He said, I want you to lock up the dog. So he called back about five minutes later. He said, have you locked the dog up? I said, nope, not yet. But I will. So I said, Schnick, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to put you into the bathroom for a while. So he called back another five minutes. Have you locked your dog up? I said, yes, he's locked up. So he comes into the house. He says, where is that ferocious dog? I said, my 20-pound beast is in the bathroom. You're safe. <laughs> anyway, we try to protect our homes, don't we? And so they were going to post up guards. The second thing he told the people was to don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Do not be afraid. When I was about to go to the Central African Republic, and recently the Fulani, the Muslim herdsmen, have been trying to take land from our people to raise their animals on, displacing many Christians, I was there to see an orphan school to preach in their churches and equip their pastors. Before I left, for, left America, I had a conversation with a woman named Barb Wooler about how to prepare myself to go into this country. She said, the most important thing for you are is that no matter what the situation is, don't be afraid. So I would say to you, the most important thing I'd say to you is, don't let fear get inside your heart. Fear will always come at us. And when fear comes at us, it immobilizes us and it spreads to others. It becomes contagious. You see, fear will come at you but don't let fear get inside of you. Do not be afraid. So on one morning, I was out for a walk in downtown Bangui, preparing for a sermon, and I was stopped by a military guy. He had a soldier uniform, 
and an automatic weapon. He said to me, terrorist. I said, no, pastor. I'm here to help the children. He said, terrorist. And he pointed his automatic weapon at my head. Then he was joined by four of his buddies, each brandishing a weapon. Somehow, by the grace of God, perhaps because people were praying for me, I really was not afraid. I said to this guy in French, what is it you want? And he says, I want your money. And so I gave him all the money I had. I said, you've got the weapon. Here's my money. And so we walked away. See, Nehemiah looked over the situation, and what he could see was fear. Fear in the hearts of people. These last three years have been about fear, haven't they? Fear of getting COVID, fear of the vaccine, fear of getting sick, all that. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. Jesus would ask the question, why are you afraid? How did he finish the project? He posted up guards. He said, don't be afraid. And remember the Lord who's great and glorious. Remember the Lord. Whenever we face a situation that creates fear in our hearts, we need to remember the Lord and his promises. God chose Abraham to be our father. God chose Moses to deliver us. God chose Joshua to take us into the land. God chose David to be our great king. And God chose us to build this wall. We are his chosen people. God is in covenant relationship with us. God is for us. God has given us permission to leave Persia. God has given us safety in our journey. God has given us timber with which to build. God is for us. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. It was Abraham who God said, look as far as you can to the north, the south, the east, and west, so I will give you this land and your descendants as an everlasting covenant. It was the Lord who chose Moses to deliver the nation out of slavery. He sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. They passed through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. He provided for them in the wilderness. It was the Lord who chose Joshua to take Israel into the promised land. It was outside the city walls of, Jer of Jericho when Joshua had a conversation with the Lord. See, Joshua was sizing up those walls saying, shall we dig under them? Shall we climb over them? Shall we get a battering ram to go through them? But the Lord had a very different battle plan. I want you to march around the city for six straight days, but on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And then at the signal, I want you to blast that trumpet and shout, and the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down. And God gave a battle plan to Gideon. He said, send everybody home who's afraid. And only 300 were left. Take your trumpets and blow them. Take your glass jars and break them. Take your torches and light them. And I will give you the Midianites. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember him, his favor upon us. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, it's a good time to be reading it, is Isaiah chapter 40, which says, in essence, 
God is greater than anything we face. God is greater than his creation. Isaiah asked, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? How great is our God to have the ability to measure the waters, the oceans, in the hollow of his hand. Think of the Pacific Ocean, stretching from our west coast all the way to places like Japan. 6,000 miles of ocean. God measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. God is greater than the oceans. And God is greater than the kings of the earth. <laughs> Isaiah 40 says, surely the nations are like a drop in God's bucket. We hear about Iran supplying weapons to Hamas. We hear about Russia buying weapons from North Korea. We hear about Ukraine fighting this war against the Russians. But God is greater than the nations. God is sovereign over the nations. God rules over these nations. God is greater than any king. To whom will you compare me, Isaiah asked. Who is my equal? Lift up your eyes and see the heavens. Who created these, the stars? God knows them, each one by name. And God leads them every night out to shine. How great is your God? Our God is great. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Remember him. And fight. Fight for your brothers. And fight for your wives. And fight for your sons and daughters. And fight for your family. The man beside you is more than a warrior with a sword. He's more than a builder with a trowel. He is your brother. You ready for my visual effects? <laughs> so these guys had a trowel in one hand. This is an actual trowel from the building project out of Sharon's office. He had actually had a trowel and a sword. With the trowel they could build, and with the sword they could fight. That guy you're going to fight with and fight for is more than a warrior. He's more than a builder. He is your brother. In Israel, everybody knows somebody who's been taken hostage. Everybody knows somebody who's fighting with the IDF because it is a brotherhood. You see that brotherhood in the police. You see it also in the military. It's a band of brothers. The enemy would love to destroy your family. The enemy loves to spread lies and deceptions. The enemy loves to divide and cause discord. The enemy loves to intimidate. The enemy can get the best of you if you're alone and isolated. But if you fight with your brother, you will prevail. And fight for your wives. I wish you had said fight for your wife. But he's <laughs> I guess there was more than one. Fight for your wives. Give them your protection, your safety. They aren't as strong as you. Fight for them. The enemy would love to carry them off. Fight for them. And fight for your sons and your daughters. Your sons are trying to figure out what it means to be a man. Fight for them. Your daughters are glad to have a father who will fight for them. Stand up for your family. If you won't stand up for them, who will stand up for them? If you don't speak truth to them, who will speak truth to your kids? Are you going to allow social media, Hollywood, to raise your kids? 
or you're going to fight for them. And fight for your family. Fight for your family is what he's saying. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for your brothers and your wives and your sons and your daughters. Fight for your family. We don't have to be afraid if we look to the Lord for help. If we fear the Lord, we will not fear the enemy. Nehemiah encouraged them to remember the Lord. Why should we remember the Lord? Because our eyes can be fixed on all the rubble in this world, or our eyes can be fixed upon the person of Jesus. With our ears, we can hear the voice of the enemy, or with our ears, we can hear the very voice of God. Our God is great, meaning all-powerful, and our God is glorious, inspiring all. God is sufficient. God is all-powerful. And one last thing. Listen for that trumpet. <laughs> then I explained to the officials, verse 19, and the nobles and all the people, this work is very spread out and we are separated from one another. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, <laughs> the trumpet stayed with Nehemiah to sound the alarm. Rush to wherever it is sounding that our God will fight for us. Listen to me. Our God will fight for us. If we fight for our families, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah walked from place to place overseeing the building of the wall. He realized the Jews were vulnerable to an attack from their enemies at any time. So he kept the trumpeter at his side. The trumpet play, played a part in Joshua's battle. The trumpet played a part in Gideon's battle. At Nehemiah's signal, the trumpet would blast, and the people would come to where the trumpet was. Ne Nehemiah gave the people a rallying point, a signal, to be ready for the imminency of the battle. The sound of the trumpet meant we're under attack and we need to fight. What has happened in the Middle East has caused people to ask the questions, maybe you're asking too, is this the end of the world? Is this the final battle? I believe, I believe that Jesus is going to rapture his church. See, there's certainty and uncertainty about the rapture. It, we are certain it will happen, but we're uncertain about when it will happen. Are you rapture ready? Before we begin any military exercise, we always evacuate our own people, get them out of there, right? Even in Gaza, we are progressively evacuating American citizens who want to leave there. I mean, who wants to stay in a war zone? We see them hugging relatives, greatly relieved that they're leaving a war zone. We are God's people. We are believers in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself is going to descend with a loud shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. See, Nehemiah is going to blow the trumpet to show the imminency of the attack. The trumpet will be blown to signal we are out of here. Can you, can you imagine a world where there aren't any Christians and the Holy Spirit in those Christians? No one to stand up for truth? 
Jesus went to left this earth to prepare a place for us. And he says, when it is ready, he will take us out. The way to get yourself ready for the rapture is to put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he did come down from heaven, he went to a cross, he died for your sins, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God, and he is ready to return when God says, go. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we live in a world with all kinds of threats, all kinds of rubble, all kinds of debris. We see the world around us getting worse and worse. We see the darkness that's encroaching upon us. And we remember, <laughs> we remember Ben Franklin who said, let's just take a pole and put kerosene lamp on that pole to light up around our house, to bring light to those in the darkness. Let's put a light in the church that will shine brightly in the midst of the darkness. Let's give a hope that's greater than the hopelessness of this world. Let's put our trust in the person of Jesus. We sang about when we can't make it, we call on Jesus. Jesus, we can't do this by ourselves. We, um, we desperately need your help. We need you to come alongside of us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to renew our minds, give us hope. So God, please, make this hope burn bright in our hearts, that we are not alone, that you are with us, that we are your church. We are here to build up your kingdom, to love one another. Help us, Lord, to light up the darkness, to let your glory be seen. We put our trust in the person of Jesus. We stop relying upon ourselves or anything that we can do. We put our full confidence and our trust in Jesus and what he's promised to do. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Doesn't God deserve praise for what he's done? Just to praise him from the depths of our hearts. He loved us way too much for us to stay lost. I made a reference that I was praying about. You may know the story about Ben Franklin. Back in when he was living in Philadelphia, and by the way, I think the commanders have played their best games against Philadelphia only to lose twice. But back, so he was walking the streets and there was like these potholes and there was attacks on people and people stumbling in the streets. So he put up in his newspaper this, you know, please light a light, right? Outside your house, take a pole and put a kerosene lamp on it and light up your street. But nobody did. <laughs> nobody. No. He must have felt like a pastor, you know, like trying to <laughs> exhort people to do something and didn't do it. So then he decided himself he would take a pole and he put a kerosene light on it outside of his own house. He actually did it. He provided an example. And then his neighbor did that. And his neighbor did that. His neighbor did that. Before long, the whole street was lit up with light. So maybe. It's concerning the encroaching darkness that we all see. Maybe what we need to do is just light a light. Because the light always repels the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So why don't we just light a light? Fight for our brothers. And fight for our wives. 
fight for our children and fight for our families. Pray with me. Father, indeed, the world is dark. And the news is bad. And there's crumbling things all around us. But God, you've called us to be the light of this world. To let our light so shine that men may see you, God, and glorify our Father in heaven. Would you, God, enable us to light a light? That's our prayer. Light a light through us, Lord. Your goodness, your generosity, your kindness, let that flow through us, Lord. A love that can't be quenched, let your love flow through your people, Lord. Light a light. Even as Jesus brought light into the world, so now we reflect his light. Help us, Lord, to light a light, we pray. In Jesus' name.